20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. Welcome into another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I am your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Really appreciate you being here today. One of the things that I hope really comes across every day is just how much I enjoy doing this and how much I love talking Packers and just feel super blessed to get to talk to you guys every single day and just break down random stuff, right? Whether it is the draft, whether it is free agency, the salary cap, whatever it might be, training camp, et cetera. Now we're actually getting into real football, which is going to be even more fun. I I don't take this for granted. And I really, really appreciate that you guys allow me this platform and allow me to do this 365 days a year, because I can look you in the eye and tell you I'd probably be doing it no matter what anyway, but it makes it a whole heck of a lot more fun when there is the following in the community that we've built and all the great comments below and just all of it. So really, really appreciate you guys. This is another really fun episode. I'm going to get into my preseason and training camp awards in just a moment, which I think is going to be a very fun topic because I spent some time sort of thinking about like some of the players that really stood out, the plays, the moments, and all those sort of things. And I figured I would try to get all of my takeaways from training camp and preseason sort of into one succinct episode as we kind of go over some of those superlatives or awards, whatever you want to call it. But we had a lot of things that happened on Thursday. So before we get there, let's break all of those things down. First and foremost, Jordy Nelson and Josh Sitton, both rightfully elected and taking their place in the Packers Hall of Fame. Two players that I enjoyed the heck out of watching every single Sunday, Josh Sitton at guard, Jordy Nelson at wide receiver. Let's start with Jordy, Super Bowl champion, check, NFL comeback player of the year in 2016, a second team All-Pro in 2014, a one-time Pro Bowler only, more on that in just a second, in 2014. In his Packers career, he totaled 550 catches, 7,848 yards, 69 touchdowns, and is really one of the great all-time what-ifs. What if he doesn't tear that ACL in the preseason? How much does that change the trajectory of the Green Bay Packers from that point forward? It like everything took a turn. Do they get rid of McCarthy when they do? Is Rogers still like the whole, like there are a million wormholes that we could go through with that just that one what if? But he did unfortunately tear his ACL. It was a little bit of a turning point, I think, in the really with Jordy, of course, but really with the Packers at that point in time as well. But but we're not going to talk about that today. We're not going to lament what could have been. We are going to celebrate just a phenomenal career. And speaking of that Pro Bowl, when I was re-going through Jordy's career and everything like that, I, I wholeheartedly get that the wide receiver position in the NFL is always stacked and there's always incredible playmakers out there. It seems criminal that Jordy only had one Pro Bowl appearance and one second team All-Pro as his highest accolades. But it doesn't really matter. I don't really care about the the Hall of Fame stuff or the the All Pros or the Pro Bowls. He's he's the consummate Green Bay Packer, and he deserves to be in the Packer Hall of Fame. And it's really cool to see him get inducted. And really, same thing for Josh Sitton too, right? Super Bowl champion, first team All Pro in 2014, two time uh, second team All Pro, and a four time Pro Bowler. Played left guard, played right guard. He was just one of those players that as soon as you saw him, you're like, yeah, this is a this is a Green Bay Packer guard. This is another one of the day three offensive linemen that Green Bay was able to draft and develop. There's plenty of those through the history of the last three decades, but Josh Sitton, one of the best of them. 
it was always like it and he also has like sort of a, a moment named after him right like if you are a you know higher priced player going into uh, the end of training camp during cutdowns and you get released, you kind of just got Josh sitting. Like that's the one we always talk about. But once again, we are not going to go over those moments. We're going to go over the phenomenal career that he had as a member of the Green Bay Packers. As I started off saying, these two are more than well-deserving to be in there. And I thought it was a really cool Hall of Fame class, really cool moment for both of them. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what happens from here with both of them. We'll see if they get part of some of the alumni weekend events and, you know, they, they get to, you know, come out of the tunnel and those sort of things. But whatever ends up happening with Jordy and Josh, they will all time go down as all time Green Bay Packers. And what more can you ask for than being enshrined in the Packers Hall of Fame in that capacity? All right, moving along, let's just touch base on this topic really, really quickly. And that's the Jonathan Taylor trade. I'll say it one more time. Don't expect it to happen. We're probably going to get things, you know, more coming out of what the Packers were offering and things like that. The truth is, I, I believe the reports, but like it is, GMs have to lie inherently. It's part of their job. So whether the reports that got out of, you know, Green Bay being interested and involved were an agent getting that info out there to use as leverage for maybe the Dolphins or another team, or maybe Brian Gutekinds is lying to us and saying like, yeah, we weren't really that interested when really they were. We just will never probably really know the, the true truth of it. I don't think he's going to become a member of the Green Bay Packers. The report on Thursday was that Green Bay was willing to offer him an extremely high contract, you know, one of the top running back contracts in the NFL. Who knows? I don't know. And quite frankly, I don't really care because I don't see a realistic possibility of how this comes to fruition at this point. I don't think it should come to fruition, as I mentioned the other day. But the piece that I really want to touch base on here is there does seem to be some angst or weirdness of like, oh, what are Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon feeling about this? They are fine. I promise you, they are fine. They are professionals. When you get into the NFL, whether it be as a coach, whether it be as a GM, whether it be as an assistant coach, a player, a practice squad guy, whatever, you get into it knowing that at some point you are going to get cut or traded or fired or terminated or whatever else. It is part of the gig and it just comes with it. And it It's not fun. It's not great. It's not ideal. I get it, but that's part of the business. Dylan and Jones understand exactly where they are right now. For Aaron Jones, he's one of the veteran players on this team. And I agree with Brian Gutekinds. He is the heart and soul of this Packers team. He is that guy. Like he is the consummate professional in the locker room, the guy that lifts everyone else up, the yes sirs, like he's just, he's that dude. He's that, that's who he is. He is the heart and soul of this team. I don't think he was going to go anywhere regardless of what happened with Jonathan Taylor. And he also knows that he's 29 years old. He's got a year left on his contract, which will be his age 30 contract. It's a very exorbitant deal. And that he is coming at some point here at a crossroads of Green Bay going in a younger direction and him turning 30 as a running back. He knows he gets it. He also understands probably that he was going to be a Packer this year, probably in any capacity, no matter what happened. As for AJ Dillon, AJ, you know what AJ Dillon is worried about? He's not worried about his feelings being hurt. He's not, you know, worried about what Brian Gutekinds in the front office thinks of him. He's thinking that he is in a contract year. And that if he goes out and has an awesome year this year, whether it be for Green Bay or Indianapolis or any other team that he could potentially end up on, spoiler, he's going to be a Packer this year. 
He wants to have the best season that he can possibly have so that he can cash in next year, whether that be with Green Bay or whatever other franchise is willing to offer him a massive amount of money, assuming he has that phenomenal year. That's what AJ Dillon is worried about. These guys are professionals. They all know that at any time they could get the phone call that they are cut, that they are traded, waived, released, whatever it may be. It just is part of the part of the gig and part of the deal. So I am sure that there's a maybe a second that it flew through their mind of like, huh, if Jonathan Taylor's here, what happens with me? It didn't happen. These sort of things, as Brian Gudikins will mention, they are involved in so many different conversations with so many different players. How many big time trades? How many like really big time massive trades have the Packers been a part of? Like that that you knew like they went out and got a Pro Bowl or all pro caliber player. It's not many. And even like trades in general are really, really tough in the NFL. They're very hard to come by where teams agree on the parameters, especially dealing with the Packers who are not a team that offers a ton of, you know, compensation in return for trades. They're looking for pennies on the dollar sort of deals. Can we basically, can we rip another team off? If not, all right, we'll go through the draft and develop and we'll build Packer people and develop that way. I don't think Dylan Jones are losing any sleep over this whatsoever. They will be just fine. They're both going to have really nice years as the one-two punch in Green Bay. And hopefully we can just sort of move past the whole Jonathan Taylor thing, at least for the time being. As mentioned, he's on PUP anyway. He can't play for the first four weeks. Let the let the Colts deal with all of that drama. They can deal with the whole Jonathan Taylor. Should they pay him? Should they not pay him? Let them deal with that. Green Bay can have their season of youth and we'll see what happens and they can figure out all that other stuff when they want to add pieces when they start being a Super Bowl contender again. So that's where I'm at with the whole Jonathan Taylor situation. Meanwhile, there was a practice. Once again, we got like 15 minutes open to the media. We can basically take attendance and that's it. The big takeaway, well, two on the good side of things, Devondre Campbell back practicing. That is huge news for him. And hopefully that means he is going to be good to go for Chicago moving forward. I would assume so, unless there's some sort of setback considering he's practicing over a week in advance, but that was great to see. He was back with the inside linebacker group. Didn't seem to have any limitations while we were out there. Looked like himself. So really, really great news on Devondre. Meanwhile, there were a handful of players not practicing still. Eric Stokes, of course, still on the pup list. Henry Pearson, Luke Tenuta, who later in the day was placed on IR when they brought back um, Matt Orzik. So Tenuta, like that, that'll be the last time we update really Tenuta because now he's just on IR, right? Romeo Dobbs, still not practicing. David Bakhtiari, still not practicing. Dontavian Wicks, still not practicing. And then Darnell Savage. I didn't catch this one at first. Kudos to Matt Schneiman and, and Tom Silverstein and, and the guys who did catch it. I didn't notice it at first, but he was not practicing. So interesting note there. Don't know why there was no indication of what was wrong. We were given no reason by PR. So we'll try to find out a little bit more on that. We'll definitely get an update next week on the practice report. Once practice resumes, we'll see if he's out there next week. But right now, Darnell Savage was not practicing on Thursday, and that will be one to keep an eye on. I don't think I mean, it's not like I don't think anyone's expecting a Pro Bowl season from Darnell Savage either, but going into a regular season game with Jonathan Owens and Rudy Ford as your safeties is, whew, that is not ideal. So hopefully Savage is okay, but the good news on the other side of things is that Devondre Campbell is back practicing. Meanwhile, if you are a jersey number connoisseur, Zane Anderson was practicing. He was wearing number 39. Ben Sims, the new tight end, was practicing. He was wearing number 89. Daniel Whelan, the punter, 
changed from number 41 to number 19, and Alex Magoo changed from number 17 to number two on the practice squad. Anders Carlson is number 17, so we had to switch numbers, and that new number is number two. Meanwhile, Tariq Carpenter did not go back to Green Bay. Not surprised about this. We talked, I think, a little bit about this yesterday, but I don't think he was super pumped about playing linebacker. My guess is he found a team that maybe was willing to play him at safety or just get him a new fresh start and try somewhere else. So he will go to the Pittsburgh Steelers on their practice squad. No word on Jonathan Ford yet. He was not claimed, but he was not added to Green Bay's practice squad quite yet. I would assume they would really like him back. I saw somebody post on on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. I saw somebody post of like, like walk me through the logic of why they would be the last, like why they would make the 53 and then Green Bay wouldn't bring them back to the practice squad. How how would that possibly happen? You have to remember that these are two-way streets. These players are not bound to just Green Bay's practice squad. First of all, they could get claimed to an active roster. Neither of them were, but if they were maybe slighted by the fact that they made the 53 and then got cut a day later, they could say, you know what? I'm, I'm out. I'll go somewhere else. Or maybe just more importantly, I talked about this a little bit the other day at the wide receiver position of like, if you're Grant Dubose and another team comes calling, you could look at the six wide receivers that made it ahead of you and say, all right, all those guys are going to be here for the foreseeable future. Let me go to find some place who has a bunch of old crusty wide receivers or maybe just bad wide receivers that I can have a better chance of playing with. Now, Dubose returned, but if Jonathan Ford can kind of look at the same thing and look at and say, all right, well, Devontae Wyatt was a first round pick last year. TJ Slayton's really coming into his own. Kenny's not going anywhere probably anytime in the near future. You got Colby Wooden and Carl, you know, Carl Brooks who just beat me out and they're rookies. Like maybe I'll go try to hitch my wagon somewhere else and see if maybe there's a better opportunity for playing time and maybe actually be able to be called up. Now, I think Green Bay would you know, call him up and I think there is a one-stopping you know, spot for him on on this team, but he, he has to want to come back. Tariq Carpenter, like I said, he probably looked at it as like, may, I would maybe like to play safety more, or maybe he was slighted that Green Bay released. Whatever the case may be, he's not bound to the Packers. Maybe sometimes guys just might not like Green Bay. Maybe they want to go to a bigger city, closer to home, whatever it may be. If they have those options, they can do that. So we'll see if Jonathan Ford ends up back on the practice squad, but so far he is not. And Tariq Carpenter, meanwhile, signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Packers did fill out the 17th guy in their practice squad. Odomegwu, remember, allows them to have 17 rather than just 16, like the teams that don't have the International Pathway Program players. They signed Christian Welsh uh, to the practice squad as that final member, at least for now. 6'3", 240 linebacker. He was a undrafted free agent out of Iowa in 2020. He played 888 special team snaps with the Ravens from the years 2020 to 2022 per Paul Brettel. That's incredible. That is a lot of special team snaps. So practice squad guy, but core special teamer. With Tariq Carpenter gone, that's a core special teamer gone. Only four inside linebackers. You could see them maybe calling up a guy like Welch to be active on game days so that they have that special teams presence. We know they already lost Tyler Davis. We'll talk about that in just a second as well. But they've lost some of those practice or those uh, special teams guys. So don't be surprised if their call-ups are not offense and defense related, but are special teams related. Christian Welch could be some of the somebody that does get called up to really help with special teams and give Rich Basaccia another core special teamer come game day. So we'll keep an eye on that as well. Hello friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA finals and I desperately wanted to go to game six in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. 
Goodbye game six of the NBA finals. Now, thankfully, the day of the game, I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used game time to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using game time app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the game time app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and so much more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and roll for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right. I mentioned, I don't know, two or three episodes ago, I went through and I read all the different Packers who were part of the team in 2022 who are not on the initial 53-man roster. Well, what I did yesterday is I went through and I counted up all of their snaps from 2022 to see what Green Bay is actually missing in 2023. So so these are all snaps that were played by players in 2022 that are not on the 53-man roster. On offense, Green Bay lost 4,000 57 snaps on offense from players who played last year who are not on this year's 53-man roster. On defense, 2,613 snaps. On special teams, they lost 2,089 snaps for a total of 8,759 snaps from players who played last year in 2022 but are not currently on the 53-man roster right now. 8,759. The leaders of that group, Aaron Rodgers, 1,091 snaps. Adrian Amos, 877 snaps. Alan Lazard, 863 snaps. Jerron Reed with 705. Robert Tunyon, 591. Dean Lowry, 482. Mercedes Lewis, 451. And Tyler Davis, 352, just on special teams alone. Interestingly enough, Tyler Davis, the player who played the most special team snaps last year, won't be able to play because he is on IR. The player on defense that had the most snaps last year, Adrian Amos, he's in New York with the Jets. And the player who had the second most snaps on offense, Aaron Rodgers, 1,091 snaps. Also, I don't know if you know this, he is also a member of the New York Jets. So they have a lot of snaps to replace one more time, 8,759 snaps that are going to go to a lot of these younger players that we've been talking about all off season long. All right, let's jump into our main topic. And I want to go over my preseason and training camp awards from the start of and day one of training camp, really up until now, what are all of the award winners and why did they win it? So let's start with offensive MVP. This is kind of a tricky one, but at the same token, I think there's really only one answer and that's Jordan Love. We didn't know what to expect and it could have gone terrible. He could have been awful in preseason. He could have looked completely disjointed in training camp. We just didn't completely know what to expect. There was a lot of pressure on him. I mean, a lot of pressure, a lot of eyes. And I thought for the most part, a couple hiccups here and there, some accuracy issues from time to time. But overall, he really stepped up and he showed that he's ready to be an NFL starting quarterback. And I'm really excited about what that is going to show this upcoming season. We don't know exactly what that's going to mean. But like I said, I'm really excited to watch and see how it's going to play out. His entire body of work 
from what he did from day one up until the end of camp and preseason, from taking care of the football to knowing the offense in and out, to setting his teammates up for success, to handling the pressure, to being a better you know, navigator of the pocket, keeping his eyes up downfield, to know uh, or and really have at his disposal a phenomenal hard count, to know the playbook like the back of his hand, at least seemingly, checks at the line of scrimmage, getting everyone involved. Everything was impressive. The accuracy, we'll see. That's a work in progress right now, but everything else was aces. A couple throws you'd like to have back from some turnover-worthy plays, that's going to happen through the course of practice. Preseason, I thought overall, a couple throws you'd like to have back, not from an interception standpoint, but he could have hit some home runs and a couple that he just missed. But overall, took great care of the football, commanded the offense, did everything that you would have wanted him to do in preseason. Yes, against some defenses that didn't have their ones, some vanilla schemes, that's going to have that's going to change in the regular season but i don't know who else you would go with here offensive mvp jordan love my defensive mvp is jair alexander and i think there's a couple different directions that this could have potentially gone in and the hard thing about jair is there were no big plays like i can't i cannot name you my favorite jair play from training camp or preseason well he didn't play in the preseason but i can't name you my favorite jair play in training camp the, the reason being is that nobody throws at Jair Alexander because he's completely shut down on his side of the field. That's the truth. He was that good. He was completely shut down. He did have an injury here or there, uh, or like for a couple days that that knocked him out for a little bit. But every time he was out there, he was bringing energy, bringing intensity, and he was just completely shutting down his side of the field. And it, you know, from his side of things, like you don't get a ton of credit because you don't get a bunch of interceptions and those sort of things. But he had a, he had the one deflection that I think Devondre Campbell intercepted. That's probably the one that stands out to me. But overall, every single practice, one on ones, whether it was the you know seven on sevens that they did, the team activities, every single time Jair was shut down, it showed he's still a master of his craft, still a joy to watch every training camp. And I'm going with him for defensive MVP. My offensive rookie of preseason and training camp. This is a tougher one. You've got Jaden Reed, Malik Heath could definitely be in the conversation. I'm going Luke Musgrave. From day one, he was the starter at tight end. And that's a lot to put on a rookie's plate. I thought he got better as a blocker as the preseason went along. I'm really impressed with his ability to get up the seam and really use that speed to his advantage. Dropped a couple passes that I, I know he'd like to have back. Some of the, the you know, just part of being a rookie and you know, kind of figuring out how to to slow the game down and, and let it come to you a little bit more. But he showed off speed, hands, intensity, blocking, and he's going to be a red zone weapon. He's going to be a seam weapon. He's going to be a, a player that teams are going to have to be cognizant of. And I mentioned it before, but at family night, three straight plays that go to Luke Musgrave, you know, you see the crosser, you see the screen, you see the seam, all of it. And there were multiple plays where he's going up the seam, taking two defenders his way and keeping the wide receiver free on the right-hand side. Both two times it happened, two times it led to, well, one, it led to a touchdown at family night. The other, it led to a big pass interference in the end zone against Jaden Reed. I think that was the Bengals game, if I remember correctly. But overall, really great uh, camp and preseason for Luke Musgrave. He's my offensive rookie of preseason. My defensive rookie of the preseason is Carrington Valentine. Honorable mention to Carl Brooks. I think you really could make a strong case for Carl, Carl Brooks here as well. Excuse me. Carrington Valentine had the one bad game in week two of preseason. If Carrington Valentine didn't have that one bad preseason game, I'm pretty certain I could make 
a very strong argument and maybe even a undeniable argument that he would have been the player of training camp for the Packers. He did have one really bad preseason preseason game though. Had he not had that, had that been a, like a really good game, I think he's we're probably talking about him as maybe the player of training camp for Green Bay in preseason. He also had the opportunity maybe for the pick six in the third preseason game. If he comes up with that, we might be talking about it as well. It doesn't matter overall. He had a phenomenal training camp. He had a great preseason in two of the three games. One of the games he learned from. That's what you want. You want these young players to learn from the preseason games and training camp. I thought he bounced back great in the third preseason game, almost came up with that pick six. He's going to be a good player. They kept only four corners in large part because of Carrington Valentine and what he's shown. Can you imagine, by the way, if Carrington was just your normal seventh round pick and just kind of sucked? This is You've got Rasul, you've got Jair, you've got Keyshawn. You would have had nothing after that. They would have probably had to go shopping for maybe somebody at that point. But Valentine saves them a little bit, gives them some depth. And he's the next guy up right now, obviously, because there's nobody else. But Stokes will come back at some point. In the meantime, Carrington Valentine will be huge for depth. And he was my defensive rookie of camp and preseason. The best play of training camp, let's stick with the same guy, Carrington Valentine. Probably my favorite play was the pick six in the two minute, you know, where Jordan Love was at QB. And he threw up an out and Carrington Valentine jumped it, took it to the house, ended practice, ended practice with a pick six of Jordan Love, who, by the way, barely threw interceptions in training camp. But on that day, Carrington Valentine, of all people, on the very last play of the the practice, two-minute drill, competitive period, Valentine takes it to the house. Not only gets the pick to seal the game, but takes it all the way to the end zone, scores the touchdown. Really big-time play for him, just part of a a massive, massive camp and and offseason for him. But that was probably my favorite play of training camp. Best play of preseason? Got to go the Emmanuel Wilson 80-yard touchdown run. You want to talk about getting on the Packers' radar? Take a play and make an 80-yard touchdown out of it. And I personally, you guys will know this if you've been listening to me, I kind of liked Emmanuel Wilson from day one. I mentioned like, hey, he's got a little something, there's something there to him. He's, he had a little bit of wiggle, a little bit of, uh, you know, really good vision, I thought. Like he had some power on the, like on one practice, on one practice of the entirety of training camp, they did live tackling with the younger players. And on the first play, he just ran over like three dudes. So he showed power, he showed vision, he showed a little bit of wiggle. I had no idea. I had no idea that he had that sort of burst. And to me, that was the eye opener. And that 80 yard touchdown run of like, oh, oh, he he's he's got speed too. He's he's like a 220 pound back, but that can also like get around the corner and make an 80 yard run and run away from people. That to me was a impact play, really got him on the radar and really helped him ultimately get a spot on the 53 man roster. Most consistent player, I'm gonna go with Razul Douglas every single day. That guy was talking smack. He was backing it up. He had the one play, the one play in two minute against the Patriots where he gave up the big touchdown. The one play. All Almost all of training camp and preseason when he was in there, he was completely shut down the rest of the time. So he, to me, was the most consistent player of camp. Had a really, really great um, you know, OTA, minicamp, training camp, all of it preseason. And he looks destined for a really nice season this upcoming year. My most improved player, I got to go with Rasheed Walker. This is a player where last year had the one nice preseason game, basically doesn't play the rest of the year. You don't know if he's even going to make the team. 
as like if you would have told me going into camp of like yeah they decided not to move forward with Rasheed Walker I'd be like ah oh, that's a bummer but whatever like now he's the next guy up he's the sixth offensive lineman on this team right now that's not nothing that is a big time jump and beyond that he looks ready to start he looks like he can legitimately be an NFL starter right now this is a seventh round pick that at the end of last preseason you didn't know if he was going to make the team then so to go from that to now a potentially legitimate starter at offensive tackle, that's a big time jump. And for me, the most improved player so from last year's training camp to this year's training camp. The best comeback, of course, Rashawn Gary. The fact that he is ready to play in week one against the Bears is massively impressive. Pitch count, no pitch count, doesn't matter. Really impressive stuff. And so awesome to see him back on the field at this point already and being ready for week one. My biggest disappointment I'm going to go a few here. The first one is the safeties, but not really the play of the safeties. I really like what Brian Gutekunst has done this entire offseason. The safety position is unforgivable is a harsh word and, and probably too strong of a word. You can't go into a season with Darnell Savage, Jonathan Owens, Dallin Levitt, Anthony Johnson Jr., a seventh round pick. Like It's just not good enough. Rudy Ford, etc. And Savage and Ford will probably be fine assuming Savage is healthy enough and okay. That is a barren room. And if Savage isn't okay, it's even worse. And they have six safeties on the roster right now. And I don't have faith in any of them. That's just a bad position. And the other thing too is like Anthony Johnson Jr. is like the only guy that really is under team control for next year. So not only are you not like working towards developing players for the future, you don't have guys who can play right now. It's just a nightmare of a position. Josh Myers, did end, I thought, the, the preseason pretty well. His last game went really, 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 really great. But uh, overall, I thought that this was a, a forgettable training camp. I was expecting him and hoping that maybe he was going to take a little bit more of a jump. I haven't seen that so far, and that's a level of disappointing. And I'm going Devontae Wyatt, too. I thought he started well, and then it just fell off. The preseason tape wasn't that great. The training camp stuff, you'd see a flash play here or there, but at no point... At no point whatsoever would I have been like, yeah, this is the first round pick from a season ago. And maybe it just gets lost in the shuffle because they have so many guys from last year's draft that are on this team and playing and that Quay got picked ahead of them. This is a first round pick from last year who was 24 last year, 25 this year. They need a big season. He's the number three defensive lineman. He is firmly behind TJ Slayton. And I think that's a level of disappointing. Now, all of this doesn't matter. Whether it was great the, you know, the great awards, it doesn't matter come regular season. You start over and you got to show it in the regular season. If it's a bad award, it doesn't matter. You still have a regular season in front of you and Devontae Wyatt could go and tear it up. And who cares that he didn't play well in the preseason? I want to see it come Sundays anyway and in the regular season. But those would be my disappointments. The way that the safety room was put together, Josh Myers and Devontae Wyatt. Best undrafted free agent, Malik Keith, no question about it. Brenton Cox is great. Emmanuel Wilson's great. Malik Heath was the best of the three and uh, really, really excited to see what he can do this upcoming year. In my opinion, he is wide receiver four at this point. Most surprising player, you can go in so many different directions. Emmanuel Wilson, Rashid Walker, Malik Heath, Carrington Valentine. I'm going Sean Clifford. People did not even want him on the team, thought that Green Bay drafted a player that wasn't in the fifth round that wasn't even draftable. Like it was a joke that Green Bay picked him. He had awesome preseason training camp 
firmly the number two quarterback, deservedly so. And just, you know, I think surprised a lot of people with how advanced he is for being a fifth round pick. And even to the point where there is a group of people who want him starting over Jordan Love. We're not going to talk about that today, but let's not go too far. But he was really a really nice surprise of training camp and preseason. My worst moments of camp, the Packers and you know Patriots fighting like seven times in one practice. I get there's going to be some fights and some tensions and whatever. And two or three, you can understand. There were six or seven. And it, was, it got to the point of just ridiculousness and stupidity, having to kick people out and yada, yada. It just it wasn't great. That was probably my worst moment of camp. My breakout player, Kingsley Nigbare, he was awesome and it really, really looked like he took that that second year jump. It gets often talked about. It doesn't always come to fruition. Within Nigbare, it really looks like he is a, I don't know, 10 steps above where he was at this point last year and is really fun to watch. Hardest player to figure out for me, Keyshawn Nixon, not as a returner, but as a slot corner. There were times where he was giving up big play after big play. Like he got beat for a decent amount of touchdowns and big games in camp. And there's other times where he looked awesome. His preseason tape was good. And he's like blitzing and coming up with sack. Like I, at half the time, he looks amazing. It's like, man, they really found a great slot corner. Other times it's like, oh, I'm not so sure that this is going to work out. So I have no idea what's going to happen with Keyshawn in the slot. The great news is he's a great special teams player, amazing returner. I think he's going to be the slot guy more often than not, but I have no idea what to expect. If you told me he went out and had a great season, I'd be like, yeah, sure. I could believe that. You said he really struggled. I could see that too. I don't know what to make out of him at this point, but he's not ever lacking for confidence. And I, I'm not going to doubt him. That's the biggest thing. Like he got doubted his entire career and just keep shutting people up. So I expect him to go and have a good season, but I, it's really hard to figure out him right now as a slot corner. My Mr. Versatility Award, I'm going with Keyshawn Nixon, the guy we just mentioned, and Zach Tom. Zach Tom all over the offensive line. Keyshawn Nixon, slot corner, kick returner, punt returner, special teams, even lined up with the offense in some individual drills in uh, in training camp as well. So those are my two Mr. Versatility Awards. My biggest question mark, Anders Carlson, for obvious reasons. And my biggest takeaway, if I had to say one, Jordan Love is ready to be the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers. And I can't wait to watch him this upcoming season. That is going to do it for me today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Happy hour, 4 p.m. Central Time, Friday, today, as you're listening to this. So make sure to check that out over on YouTube. Assuming nothing goes crazy, I will definitely be there. And I can't wait to chat with you guys, bring your questions. I'll see you then. Until next time. And as always, go Pack Go.